Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is from our series titled Kingdom Come. Today, we're going to be studying Ezekiel chapter 44 with Kurt Katsorki. Kurt, what do you think are a few things we should be looking at while we study this chapter? All right, today in Ezekiel chapter 44, we're looking at uh, God's design for holiness. And so we're going to see there's five things that he draws out about how we can maintain a holy, set-apart, different relationship with him um, than we used to have with him. And so uh, as you go through this, just listen to these five things that God is saying we can do and uh, be thinking about how you can incorporate those into your life. Let's see, today we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 44. If you're visiting with us or you haven't been with us as we've been going through this portion of Ezekiel, uh, what God is doing is he is uh, giving Ezekiel a vision of the millennial temple. So what the Bible teaches is that there will come a time when Jesus returns, he regathers the nation of Israel, and when he regathers the nation of Israel, he's going to build this temple, have this temple built, and then the, the Jewish people will worship him in a way that they have not before. So that's where we're at in the book of Ezekiel. Um, And so there's kind of your context. But what I'm going to do for you as we go through this, you're going to see this is a very Jewish passage. Um, There's references to Exodus and uh, the the Levitical priesthood, and some of this may be just foreign to you. Uh, So I'll do my best of explaining it, but I'm not going to go into every little detail. If I did, we'd be here for hours, Um, and you probably don't want to do that. Um, But uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And then what I'll also do with this passage is I will then uh, kind of relate it to what is our life like today in these terms. Um, Before I do that, what I want to do is I want to share a few things with you. The first one is that we asked you for uh, names for potential elders, and we asked three of those guys, and one said yes, the other two were smart. Um, And uh, Hoyt Temple said that he would agree to join the elder board. And so what we do at this point is we, if you know any biblical reason that Hoyt should not be an elder, we ask that you please speak to one of the current elders, let us know, or you can write that down and drop it in an offering box with your name written on it. We won't pay attention to anonymous ones. We'd want to talk to you about it. Um, But that's kind of the process that we go through. We ask you to uh, give us names, and then we discuss those people. We approach some of them and ask them if they'd like to be a part of the elder team. And uh, if one of them agrees to that, then we just want to do one last check with the body. Is there any reason that... um, biblical reason that uh, you would see that not being a good idea. So that's, that's what we'd ask. And then uh, speaking of the elders, we'd also ask that you please pray for us as we're making some decisions on staffing. Uh, as you know, Don retires at the end of December, and we're looking at who to, re- who to hire when, uh, when Don retires and then how to best use the staff that we have after Don's retirement. So we could definitely use some prayer on that right now. And then uh, the other thing that I would say, and I, and I know many of you got this, but the, the building update next week, uh, what we're going to share with you is kind of what's happened so far, everything in this room. Um, uh, we had Eric Schmidt, who, who I love, is here today, and uh, he moved away to Tennessee a few years ago. He walked in and went, whoa, this is really different. Um, so we've, we've updated this room. And then uh, the next stage is to look at some of the changes to the parking lot. We want to make the the front door much more accessible to newcomers and people that have mobility issues. Uh, We also want to uh, get rid of the traffic pattern where people are walking back and forth between the buildings and it's kind of this dangerous frogger thing. Um, And so that's the next part of this that we want to look at doing. And uh, if if you're planning on coming to that meeting, you want to know more, um, and we'll share more of the big picture at that meeting as well. And we'll share some stuff on what's going on with the Bureau of Land Management as well. But if you'd like to come to that meeting, we just ask that you would fill out that little insert 
in your bulletin with um, that you're coming and how many you're coming, drop it in an offering box. Um, that'll let us know how much food to prepare as well as uh, the, the amount of handouts that we need to print. So if you're planning on coming, please do that. And then the last thing that I was, I was uh, to remind you of is that we have some birthday cards for our missionaries at the info table. And if you want to say happy birthday to one of them when the service is over, stop by and do that. So there's that. Uh, Ezekiel 44. What we're going to be looking at today is God's design for holiness. Okay, so that's what we're looking at is God's design for holiness. And so as we go through this, uh, what I want you to hear loud and clear is that God is your maker and he has designed you for relationship with him. That is what he wants. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so the question is, what's God's design and how do you live in harmony with him? And that's what we're going to look at today as we go through this passage. Um, God knows you, he cares about you, he loves you, he wants relationship with you, but he has a design for this relationship, and what it produces is a different way of living in you. When you're living with God, you do not live the way that you used to. Um, And so what's God's design, and how do you live in harmony with him? That's what we'll look at as we go through this chapter. Before we do, let me pray. So Father, we come to you today seeking to understand the design that you have for our lives. Uh, you care about each and every one of us. Uh, there are those here listening today that uh, they've, they've come to saving faith in your son Jesus and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They are freed from the consequences of their sin uh, and they are raised to be new creations. And so uh, as Christians, we thank you for that and we recognize that our lives are not our own but they've been purchased by the blood of Jesus and we belong to you. And since we belong to you, God, we wanna live according to your design. I also know that there are those this morning who do not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, that they haven't trusted in what Jesus has done for them on the cross and in his resurrection. And so, God, I pray that you would be working in their hearts, that the Spirit would be moving uh, to uh, show them what it is to be close to their maker, their creator, the one who loves them and desires relationship with them, and that uh, you would draw them into that relationship. Uh, That's something only you can do, God, and so I pray that you would be working in uh, the lives of those who do not yet know you, to draw them close to you and into repentance. And for those of us who do know you, God, that you'd deepen our relationship with you as we seek your design for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Ezekiel chapter 44, verse one, it says, then a man brought me back towards the sanctuary's outer gate that faced east and it was closed. The Lord said to me, that gate will remain closed, it will not be opened, and no one will enter through it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. And if you were with us last week, uh, what's been going on in the the book of Ezekiel is uh, that God's presence left the people because of their sin and their idolatry, that his presence left them. And last chapter, what we saw was the return of the glory of the Lord. And when when he returned to this this temple, um, he did so through this, this eastern gate. And so this gate is going to be something that is closed um, and uh, it will remain closed because it's become sort of this hallowed place, this unique place that's been made holy by the presence of the Lord. And then in verse three, what it says is the prince himself, so there's going to be a a prince uh, that's uh, ruling in the land during this time, himself will sit at the gate and eat a meal before the Lord. He is to enter by the way of the portico of the gate and go out the same way. 
And so what this gate becomes is it becomes a, a dedicated place of worship for the prince. Now, as we look at this, there's, there's some speculation on who this prince will be. Some people say it's Jesus. Uh, I think the passage is pretty clear that it's not Jesus. As we go through these chapters, we'll see that this prince has natural born children, and then that's not something that Jesus will do. Uh, there are those who think that it's, that it's actually King David resurrected from the dead and brought uh, back into this millennial reign, or it could be one of his descendants. Um, and that view comes from Ezekiel chapter 34 and chapter 37 as well as Revelation 5 5 uh, it may be someone else this is one of those places in scripture where it's not hundred percent clear and if it was really important God would have been clearer about it um, but what we do draw out of this is that there is this dedicated spot of worship and this was something that was done um, by by the kings of Israel previously they had a place of dedicated worship and it was a place of dedicated worship where they would worship God in, in a public setting uh, so they would they would worship God in this way, but it was this dedicated spot, and the gate is recognized as the place where God entered the area. And so as you think about applying this to your own life, maybe the question to ask is, where do you consistently see God to show up in your life? Where's the place that he first arrived in your life? Um, I think the other thing to look at is, is, do you have a dedicated place of worship? Is there, is there a, a spot or a place where you say, this is where I go to be alone with God? Uh, a godly woman that I know, she wakes up early in the morning. She calls it her chair time with God. Uh, and what she does is uh, she rises early. She grabs her Bible, a cup of coffee. She reads the, her Bible. She prays, and she plays a few of her praise and worship songs, uh, ones that mean something to her. And she does all this most before, before most of us get out of bed. Um, and so sitting with God is so important to her that she prioritizes this time with him each and every day. And really that's what it's about, is it's having this place where we say, I, I long to be in relationship with God, and so I'm going to set aside a place where I spend time with him each and every day. I'm going to spend time with him in, in prayer, and I'm going to spend time in his word, and, and maybe I'll grab a book by somebody that uh, can kind of draw out what's going on in the scripture for me as well. And uh, what, are, what are your favorite praise and worship songs, and what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to spend each and every day with God. And so I think it's an important thing that we do is that we, we, we dedicate a, a space of worship, a place where we go to be alone with God. Um, and it doesn't have to be early in the morning. Uh, you, you can get up at your normal time. Um, you know, maybe you have kids and uh, the first thing that you hear is screaming voices. So uh, I would encourage you to, to, you know, find that place. Find that place where you have a dedicated place of worship. Where do you go to do this on a regular basis? And so that's the first design that we see for holiness is that God wants us to find a place where we can seek him first. Um, we wanna, he wants us to set up our lives so that we can be in relationship with him, to seek him first. And then once we seek him first, the next thing that he, we're going to see here is he wants us to reject the ways of the world. Uh, verse 4 says, Then the man brought me by the way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked, and the glory of the Lord filled his temple, and I fell face down. The Lord said to me, Son of man, pay attention. Look with your eyes and listen with your ears to everything that I tell you about the statutes and laws of the Lord's temple. Take careful note of the entrance of the temple along with its exits of all the sanctuary. Say the rebellious people, the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. I have had enough of your detestable practices, house of Israel. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised both in heart and flesh, to occupy my sanctuary, you defiled my temple while you offered my food, the fat and the blood. 
And so what he's saying here, and you could read it about it in more detail in Ezekiel chapter 8, was that the, the people had, there was a, a temple in Jerusalem, and instead of this temple being a place that the, the priesthood that God had selected to lead worship of him, they allowed other people in. Um, and instead of worshiping God alone, there were actually idols and places, altars set up to false gods uh, in the temple. And so he's saying that because you have, you have done that, Continuing here in verse eight, you broke my covenant by all your detestable practices. You have not kept charge of my holy things, but have appointed others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. This is what the Lord God says, no foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh may enter my sanctuary, not even a foreigner who is among the Israelites. And so what they had done is they had accepted the lies of the culture around them and then allowed the lies of the culture to actually influence the way that they worshiped God. They, they allowed the, the lies of the culture to determine how they were going to worship God. And what that created was, was a really negative influence on them. And what God's drawing out here is not that he has a problem with non-Jewish people. The issue is those who would bring idol worship into his house. And so the, the next thing that we see here is that God wants us to have the dismissal of lies. We, we want to be able to say, that's a lie, and I dismiss it. Um, I'm, I'm turning to God for truth, not 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 the ways of the world or the wisdom of man, but I'm turning to God for truth. And so that's what he wants Ezekiel to do is call out practices that pollute the people with thinking and living that do, that do not match his design. And so this was specifically in the context for these people, the way that they operated the temple, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. For us, we recognize that all of our life is, is we have become, as Christians, we have become the temple of, the God, of God, that the spirit of the living God lives inside of us and we are his temple. And so what we have to do is we have to reject the, the thinking of the world. Paul draws this out well in Romans chapter 1. He says in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1, For they knew God, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worth, worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, Birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So they begin to worship the crea creation over the creator. Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies would be degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is to be praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged their natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left their natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they would do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. And so what he draws out is that in the context of the world that we live in, what people will do is they'll, they'll raise up something created over the creator. They'll worship something that is created over the one who created it. 
And then, then what happens is when we engage in idol worship and we don't receive from God uh, the, the life and the love and the, uh, the security that we could only receive from him, what we do is we have to give ourselves away in other ways in order to feel full. And so what Paul draws out is one of the ways that people do that is through sexual immorality. So instead of receiving what we need from God, uh, we, we, we then turn to some sort of sexuality to try and find fulfillment. It's one of the great lies of our culture right now that you should make your identity your sexual preferences. Um, it, it is one of the great lies that we live in right now. And so once they do that, what happens, once we, we were once these types of people, once we did that, uh, we became just full of the words he says, unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, um, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And so what happens is when we don't receive from God what we need, we have to turn ourselves over to some other sort of passion or pleasure. And in the process, we end up taking advantage of other people, harming other people, hurting other people. And, and so we don't live according to God's design. That's what happens. And so what, what he's drawing out here is that we have to dismiss this. We have to recognize the lies that are from the wisdom of man and the ways of the world and then say, what does God say instead? And so this is how the world will lie to you. It'll tell you to worship the creation over the creator and that life and meaning and purpose can be, can be found in sexual experiences or money or wealth or pleasure or something along those lines. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, idolaters, or males who have sex with males, homosexuals. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbal, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so what we recognize is that the, the ways of the world lead us to worship the creation over the creator and then try and find meaning in some sort of experience rather than in serving God. And as we do that, we give ourselves over to things that are not the best for us and they're not the best for others. What, what Jesus does is he justifies us, he washes us, he sanctifies us, he pulls us out of the world and into his family. And when he does that, he changes who we are. And so what Paul's message there in, in chapter six of 1 Corinthians is, is this is not who you are, Christian, so don't be what God saved you from. Don't be what God saved you from. You have to recognize the lie that comes from the world and the wisdom of men Recognize that you've been saved from that and that truth comes from God and from knowing him. And then also recognize that you have been, you've been changed and transformed. You're not who you once were and so don't be what God saved you from. Don't fall for the lie and don't let your behavior follow the lie. And so the question here is, have you dismissed the world and the wisdom of man as a source of truth? I'm sure that some of you were uncomfortable with the reading of Romans chapter one there. I'm sure that some of you were uncomfortable with the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you say, well, that's not what our culture says. And I think that we can be loving and accepting of all sorts of lifestyles. And, and we could even embrace those lifestyles. But what's, what's he say there in Romans chapter 1? Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. And so we cannot applaud the lie. 
We cannot uphold the lie. Can we love people who are trapped in the lie and call them out of it? Absolutely, that's why we're here. God has us here to make heaven overflow. And so, but we have to recognize this. So if you dismiss the world and the wisdom of man as a source of truth, where do you let worldliness and the wisdom of man creep into your life? The next thing he does is he says, after dismissing the lies, we, li- we live for a reward that the world cannot offer. So we dismiss the lies and then we live for a reward that the world cannot offer. Verse 10 of Ezekiel 44. So surely the Levites who wandered away from me, when in Israel, went astray, and who strayed from me after their idols, will bear the consequences of their iniquity. Yet they will occupy my sanctuary, serving as guards at the temple gates and ministering at the temple. They will slaughter the burnt offerings and other sacrifices for the people and will stand before them to serve them. Because they ministered to the house of Israel before their idols and became a sinful stumbling block to them, therefore I swore an oath against them. This is the declaration of the Lord, that they would bear the consequences of their iniquity. They must not approach me to serve me as priests or come near any of my holy things or the most holy things. They will bear their disgrace and the consequences of the detestable acts they committed. Yet, I will make them responsible for duties of the temple, for all of its work and everything done in it. And so what we see here is that under the Mosaic Covenant, the priesthood could be forfeited. Uh, they, they lost their position because of their unfaithfulness. Now God's gonna raise up someone else and said, and in verse 15 he says, but the Levitical priests descended from Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me, will approach me to serve me. They will stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, the part of the animal that was sacrificed. This is the declaration of the Lord God. They are the ones who may enter my sanctuary and approach my table to serve me. They will keep my mandate. When they enter the gates of the when they enter the gates of the inner court, they will wear linen garments. And this is a, a repeat of Exodus chapter 28, uh, describing what the priests wear. They must not have on them anything made of wool when they minister at the gates of the inner court and within it. They are to wear linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waists. Uh, when I was sharing this passage with Micah this week uh, and the points that I was going to make from it, he, he said, whoa, whoa, I think you're glossing over some things. Um, and the, the translation of the Bible that he used, uh, it, it's described as uh, linen breeches and bonnets. And he said, I, I think you're glossing over the linen breeches and bonnets. Like, what is happening right here? Um, and what you have here, these, these linen, and so Micah did a bunch of research, and if you want to ask him after the service what they're about, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let him answer. But uh, the short definition here is that basically this is a really nice pair of bonnets. Um, and the idea is to approach God with dignity and care. Uh, that's the idea behind this, is that the people, the, these, this priesthood, when they enter into the sanctuary, that they're going to approach God with dignity and care. It's not a haphazard thing when we approach God. We approach him with dignity and care. We recognize who he is and uh, that he is holy and that he, he is all-powerful. He's the creator. Uh, he's just, and if he were to be just with us and, and not sacrifice his son, the consequences of what we've done would, would certainly end in our damnation. Um, but because of what Jesus has done, he's saved us, he's washed us, he's made us new. But the idea behind this is that we approach God with dignity and care. Uh, the end of this verse here, it says, they are not to put on anything that makes them sweat. Um, I would fail today. Um, verse 19, before they go out to the outer court, the people 
to the people, they must take off the clothes they have been ministering in, leave them in the holy chambers, and dress in other clothes so that they do not transmit holiness to the people through their clothes. And transmit holiness, it would be a false sense of holiness, that because I was around someone that was near God, I am, I am now um, holy as well. And so what God is drawing out for the, these people here is that we are to be driven by a greater reward. Uh, the Levites experience a loss of reward and position because of their unfaithfulness. The line of Zadok experience increased responsibility and trust because of their faithful obedience. Those living for eternity do so in a way that helps people distinguish between the holy and the common. That's what he's trying to draw out for us. We live for this greater reward. Uh, the other thing that's true from Scripture, we know it to be, is that our experience in eternity will not be uniform. Um, scripture affirms degrees of punishment. You see in Luke chapter 12, verse 27, and Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus affirms this. And then in Revelation 20, 12, draws out that there are degrees of punishment for, un, for the unsaved and degrees of reward for the believers. Uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the menace in Luke chapter 19 teach that rewards are not based on gifts or abilities, but on our degree of faithfulness to the opportunities we have been given. Um, there's a loss of rewards for those who make little of their opportunities to advance the kingdom of God and greater reward for those who make the most of those opportunities. So the other side of eternity is not communism or socialism. There's not a redistribution of rewards. We're, we're, we're rewarded based upon what we do with the opportunities here on earth to advance the kingdom of God. And so there's, a, there's varying degrees of reward. And the point is this, that what we do here on earth matters in eternity, and God knows well what we are living for. He rewards those, for he rewards those who live for things that last and withholds reward from those who live for temporal pleasure. Um, those verses that I referenced in your handout in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talk about how what, what we do with our lives is we're building. Um, we're all building something, whether we recognize it or not. And what he draws out is those of us who live for temporal pleasure, uh, what we're building is, is something that's made of hay and straw. Those who build for eternal reward, those who build to see heaven overflow and use our relationships in order to glorify God and draw people towards them, they're building with gold and silver. And he says what happens is that those of us who are saved but live our lives for temporal pleasure will make it into heaven but as through fire. And when the fire happens, uh, those who build their lives around temporal things, temporal pleasure, uh, it will all burn up. It will result, result in no reward. But those who live for eternity, those who live to see God's kingdom advance and see people enter into heaven, enter into relationship with Jesus, their works make it through and they're rewarded for it. So that's what he's drawing out here. Uh, a wise man once told me that relationships are the currency of heaven. Um, and so do you live for relationship with Jesus? Or are you living for temporal pleasure? Do you live for relationship with God through what Jesus Christ has done? Or are you living for the next experience, the bigger bank account, the, the next trip, uh, the promotion at your work? Are those the things that motivate you and drive you to do everything that you do? Or are you living for a relationship with God? And then do you live in ways that value people over possessions? And, and that's what God will have us do. If, you, if, you're, living, if you're living in a relation, right relationship with him, you will live in relationships with others in a way that values them over possessions or pleasure or power. If you're living for those things, if you're living for possessions or pleasure or power, you will always see people as an obstacle and use them to get what you want. 
What God wants us to do is to be in right relationship with him, receiving everything that we need from him so that we can then steward our relationships and what we're given in a way that values people over possessions, power, or pleasure. And so are you driven by an eternal reward or temporal pleasure? Can you identify ways that you value the temporal over the eternal? So he wants us to live for this greater reward. And then while living for this greater reward, he wants us to do so in ways that are consistent with our God-given identity. Verse 20. They may not shave their heads or let their hair grow long, but are to carefully trim their hair. I watched some of you coming in here getting ready for uh, No Shave November. You're not going to make it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> verse 21. The priest may not, or no priest may drink wine before he enters the inner court. He is not to marry a widow or a divorced woman, but may only marry a virgin from the offspring of the house of Israel or a widow who is the widow of a priest. And here's why he wants them to do this. They are to teach the people the difference between the holy and the common and explain to them the difference between the clean and the unclean. And so he wants them to have this behavior that matches their identity in God. And the point behind it is to demonstrate the difference between the holy and the common, the difference between the clean and the unclean. He says, in a dispute, they will officiate as judges and decide the case according to my ordinances. They are to observe my laws and statutes regarding my appointed festivals and to keep my Sabbaths holy. A priest may not enter near a dead person so that he becomes defiled. However, he may defile himself for a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, or an unmarried sister. After he is cleansed, he is to count off seven days for himself. On that day, he goes into the sanctuary to enter to the inner court to minister in the sanctuary. He is to present his sin offering. This is the declaration of the Lord. And so what he's drawing out for them is that he wants them to live in a different way. And the way that he wants them to live is consistent with their God-given identity. Don't live inconsistent with who God calls you. Live consistently with who God says that you are. And so what he wants us to do here is he wants us to be directed by the divine nature. One of the truths of the New Testament is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we are partakers of the divine nature. Uh, God initially created us uh, in the image of God. He made us in with value and virtue and his his character in us and his goal for us was that then we would take his value and virtue and his character and what do you say be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth and so his design for humanity was to actually have the image of God spread across the earth so that his value his virtue his goodness his justice his love his mercy his kindness all of that would spread across the earth what happens instead in the story of the Bible is that people enter into the wrong side of the two kingdoms that are at war there's an angelic conflict going on Satan falls and he rebels against God and then he shows up in the lives of humanity and he invites them to join the rebellion with him. He tricks them into joining the rebellion with him and we fall for it. We fall into this rebellion and instead of having the image of God being something that's uncorrupted, we become, the word that shows up in this passage multiple times, we become iniquitous. There's, there's a bent and broken part of us. Another way that that word could be translated is wicked and it's like the idea of a wicker basket. It's all twisted up. And so instead of us being in the way that God has made us, we're twisted, we're bent, we're crooked. And what the, what the truth of the New Testament is, is that when Jesus dies for us, he dies for the consequences of our sins, he takes away all that penalty. And when he's raised from the dead, he raises us as new creations. And so now instead of being bent and broken and crooked, he's actually made us whole again. And that's the glory of the gospel is he makes us whole again. 
And so he, he wants us to be directed by that identity, that of a, one who possesses the divine nature. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16 say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of, in your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. He goes on in chapter 2 and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. And so what we get from this is that God has made us new creations and he cares about our behavior. And God cares about our behavior as believers, not as a means to save us, but as a means to demonstrate that we are saved and what it is to live in relationship with God. It's very clear, uh, my wife was reading the book of James to my son this morning, and it's very clear in the scriptures that if we are saved and we are made new, then we will live a different way and being saved will produce good works. We will live differently. Okay, and that's what's coming out of this is that God cares about our behavior, but it's not a means to save us. No one will be saved through the good works that they do. But what our good works do is they demonstrate what it is to be saved and what it is to live in relationship with Jesus. And so that's what God wants us to do. So the initial design was for humanity was that we would, we would embody the image of God and that we would then carry that image of God across the earth and that all gets messed up. But what God is doing to the church right now is he's saying, hey, let me grab a hold of you and I'm gonna save you from the consequences of your sin. Uh, my son Jesus, he went to the cross so that the consequences of your sin could be done away with once and for all, paid in full. And if you trust that he did that and that he rose from the dead, I'm gonna buy you out of the, the slave market to sin. I'm actually gonna take you out of the kingdom of, of Satan and I'm gonna draw you into my kingdom. I'm gonna redeem you. And so I bought you with a price and now you, be, you belong to me and you're part of my kingdom. I've saved you from the consequences of your sin. And now I'm raising you up as a co-heir and a child. And what I want you to do now is I want your behavior to be excellent. And what you're gonna do now is what I intended for humanity in the first place, Christian, that you would carry the image of God and the divine nature everywhere that you go. So you're gonna carry it into your workplace and you're gonna carry it into your family and you're gonna carry it into your school and you're gonna carry it into your neighborhood. And then we're gonna be talking to people about how it's being carried into Ireland and how it's been being carried in, into the Czech Republic and Africa and the Middle East and all these different places. What God is saying is I want you to care about the divine nature and the image of God making its way across the earth because that's what I designed you for in the first place. And so if you're a Christian, then you are a partaker of the divine nature. The question is, how does this change your thinking, your speech, and your behavior? How does it make you different from the way that you were before Jesus saved you? And the last thing that we see here is that we're, as we're directed by the divine nature, God wants us to live as citizens of heaven. Verse 28. He's speaking of the priesthood. He says, this will be their inheritance. I am their inheritance. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. They will eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Everything in Israel that has been permanently dedicated to the Lord will belong to them. The best of all the first fruits of every kind and contribution and every kind from your gifts will belong to the priests. You are to give your first batch of dough to the priests so that a blessing may rest on your homes. 
The priest may not eat any dead bird or animal that died naturally or was mauled by wild beasts. And so he's drawing out again holiness and what it is to uh, be, be clean. But the more important thing that he's drawing out here is that their inheritance is not of this earth. Their inheritance is him. And what we know in the New Testament is that God has made us co-heirs with Christ. And and so what he promises to us is an eternity where we're saved from the consequences of of sin. Uh, We're actually saved from the the sin that indwells us and we're made new creations. God raises us up new creations now, but he's going to give us a new body where there is no sin. He promises an eternity where there's neither sin nor death nor crying nor tears or anything that we see evil on this earth. And so he's calling us to live for that citizenship. The, mind pre- the mindset of the priesthood is to be on God's kingdom, not earthly wealth. And the important thing here is that God calls us in the New Testament, he calls us Christians his priesthood now. Okay? And so our mindset is to be on God's kingdom, not earthly wealth. Philippians chapter 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And so he's promising that while this life is difficult and while this body that we live in has sin within it and we fight against it, uh, what he promises us is that while this body is decaying and falling apart, that there is a body and a life coming in which we will not have the power of sin in our lives, we'll be freed from that, and uh, the decay of this body goes away and we have an eternal promise of life as God intended it to be. Colossians chapter three, you could read all those verses. I'll just read verse 17. So he says, and whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so he says, live, dwell as a citizen of heaven. Yes, you're a citizen of, of, of Minden or Carson or Gardnerville, and you're a citizen of Nevada. Um, those of you who've made it out of California, you're so happy about it, right? Um, and, and, and so you're, but you're also a citizen of the United States, and you're a citizen of this world, and so we're, we're to care about those places. We recognize that, that, that living with this eternal lens, we also need to care about the here and now. God has us here for a purpose, for a reason. And so the question that we ask is, how do we live in a practical way as a citizen of heaven? Do do I see things through the lens of the here and now, or do I see things with God's big picture for the earth and humanity? And then how do those two things overlap? How do I see the eternal and live for that, but care about the here and now as well? And I think this again goes back to relationships. It's, it's, it's about this relationship with God where I'm receiving from him everything that I need, but I'm also living to draw others into relationship with him. And so we, we, we care about each and every person and their journey with God. Like I know everyone in this room, you're probably in a slightly different spot in your journey with God. Some of you are here today um, and, and you're just coming to see who Jesus is. You really don't know. Maybe you have some bad ideas about who Jesus is uh, and, and you're trying to overcome those. Uh, maybe you've been looking for Jesus for a while and you've been seeking him out and you need that opportunity to repent and believe. And what I want you to know is that today God is calling you and the spirit of God is, 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 is imploring you in your heart and your mind to repent, to turn away from living apart from him and join him in relationship by trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so you repent and believe and you become a follower of Jesus. And this, this next stage that you may be in is that, is that God is just kind of equipping you. 
He's, he's teaching you who you are in Christ and what your identity is. And he's talking to you about who the spirit of God is and how he lives inside of you to empower you and give you uh, just a, a way of life that you could never do on your own. Uh, and, and the other thing that we do as a church is we say, we want you to understand that God, God wants relationship with you, but it's a grace-based relationship. He gives and he gives and he gives to you. There, there's nothing for you to earn from him. He, he just gives and he gives and he gives so that you could be living the life that he's calling you to. And then some of you are looking to make that next step. You're like, I, I know this identity thing and I understand this that walking by the spirit and I understand that my relationship is grace-based with God. And what he's calling you to do is he's saying, hey, I want you to take that next step of faith and engage in being a sent person who recognizes that you're a fisher of men and that God has you where you are in different places of your life in order to draw people into relationship with him. Maybe it's another Christian and you're just drawing them further along the path. Maybe it's a non-Christian and you're inviting them to come and see who Jesus is or you're calling out for them to repent and believe and trust that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. But, but he has us all in these different places, but that's how we live as a citizen of heaven. We look at each life that God puts around us, each person, and we say, I care about you. I care about you more than I care about possessions. I care about you more than I care about pleasure. I care about you more than I care about power. And the reason I do that is because I have everything that I need from God. I care about you because God cares about you. And he's developing his heart in me. And I want, I want his heart to overflow out of me so that I can share who he is with you. I can share how much he cares about you. I can share how much he loves you. And we can walk together towards him. And so God has a design for you and I to live in harmony with him. He's calling us to have a dedicated place of worship, worship towards him without distraction. A piece of every part of our day where we say, this is my time with God. Maybe it's five minutes in the morning. Maybe, maybe it's an hour. I don't know where God has you in the time that you can spend there, but the more that you do it, the more that you'll enjoy it. So you have this dedicated place of worship to him without distraction. Then he wants us to make a conscious choice to dismiss the lies that stem from the world and the wisdom of man. It's a conscious choice you have to make. I believe that each and every one of us is looking for truth. I do. I believe that each and every one of us is looking for truth. And I think what we're doing right now is we're, turning, we're opening our phone or we're turning on the TV and we're asking the liars what the truth is. Or, or we're looking within ourselves and we're saying, you know, I'll just figure it out in, for me. Truth is relative and I'll just figure it out for me. And we look within the, the lying of our own heart and our own mind for truth. And what God is calling for us is, is to dismiss that. And we say, I recognize that, that this world and the wisdom of man, even my own wisdom, is not anything compared to what's been drawn out through the scripture and in the person and work of Jesus. And so I'm gonna turn to the scriptures and the person and work of Jesus to understand truth. They say that for every... Every bad thing someone says about you, you need to hear three good things to overcome it. Um, if you're spending 30 minutes watching cable news, you're gonna need 90 minutes in the Word. Um, 
uh, you're not going to find truth there. Um, if, if, you're spending, if you're spending hours reading, reading books that do not recognize God as, as the creator, uh, you're going to need to spend three times as much hearing from the word of God. Because your mind is being formed and what God calls us to do is to transform our mind by fixing it on him and his word. So we dismiss the lies that stem from the world and the wisdom of man. The next one is that we want to be driven by a greater reward. Um, it was interesting as I was talking to some of, my, some of the people that I interact with when I prepare a message. The men that I talked to, this is the one that they were like, come again? Driven by a greater reward? Because we all long to be, we all long for that. We all want to know that our life means something. That what we do matters. And so be driven by a greater reward. Value the eternal over the temporal. Live for relationship with God and relationships with others that glorify God. You want the greater reward? That's it. All the possessions, I, I know I've shared this before, but everything that's in your house, someday you're gonna pass away and your kids are gonna have a garage sale and the rest of it they're gonna take to the dump. That's where it'll be. What are you living for? Then we want to be directed by the divine nature. We want to make choices according to who God says we are. Make choices according to who God says you are. Not according to something that you did wrong in your past. Not according to something that somebody did to you. Not according to some addiction that you had in the past. Not according to some addiction that you have now. You want to define yourself and be directed by the divine nature. You make choices according to who God says you are. And then we want to dwell as citizens of heaven. We want, to see, we want to see things through God's big picture, not the finite lens of the here and now. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our time in your word again, and, and I do thank you that you have given us truth. Um, boy, there's so many voices, so many voices in our heads, so many screens grabbing our eyes, so many things that are just sort of pulling us here and there. And we need to center ourselves on you. We center ourselves on, on your word and what you say to be true. And so I pray for each person here today, God. I pray that, that they would set aside this time and this place to be dedicated to you so that they could worship you alone without distraction. I pray that each and every one of us would make a conscious choice to dismiss the lies that stem from this world and the wisdom of man, but instead turn to you for truth. God, stir in us a desire to be driven for a greater reward. The greatest reward will be the other side of eternity where we hug and love you, but also those who are there with us. And so may we, may we live for that relationship with you and relationships with others that glorify you. God, may we be directed by the divine nature of saying, we're gonna follow who you say we are. And while we live on this earth, we wanna dwell as citizens of heaven, seeing your big picture. And we thank you that you've drawn that big picture out for us, that we understand the end of the story. It is a wonderful end to the story. We long for you to return and make that happen. But you have us here and now for a purpose, and that's that we would live in your design for holiness. 
spreading your image, the image of God that dwells inside of us across this earth and causing people to worship you. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, you've been listening to our series, Kingdom Come, where we have been discussing God's design for holiness. We pray that you are both challenged and encouraged by God's word today. Join us again next week as Don teaches from Ezekiel chapter 45 and talks about living in God's presence. The dream is that Hilltop is the home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.